The phrase, don't get comfortable, is often heard when there's work to be done. It's also good advice for Christians. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah profiles a congregation of early Christians which had gotten so comfortable by the world's standards, they no longer felt the need for the things of God. From the seven churches of Revelation, here's David with today's message, The Disgusting Church. Well, quite often when you teach uh, the early chapters of the book of Revelation, uh, you have to pause after the last church in the list because the church of Laodicea is the disgusting church. And in the in the way this is laid out prophetically, this is the church that will be on the earth when Jesus Christ comes back. And as we're going to learn today, it is a church that is described as neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. And uh, it is called the disgusting church because the Lord Jesus said, because you are neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. The church that has no passion for the Lord is a church that literally, according to the way it's presented in the book of Revelation, makes the Lord sick. Unfortunately, we are probably living in the midst of the Laodicean age. And as we study this church, you're going to see many things that remind you of some of the issues we fight with in the church today. So in just a moment, we'll look in the third chapter of the book of Revelation. This is the last of the churches, and this is called the disgusting church, the church of Laodicea. Now, during this teaching time, we have been telling you about our special resource of the month, which is 31 signs, 31 signs of the apocalypse, 31 undeniable prophecies of the apocalypse. And you can get this book during the month of March for a gift of any size to Turning Point. I want to encourage you to be faithful in supporting this ministry. It's because of your faithfulness and your generosity that we're able to continue to do what we're doing all over the world in teaching the Word of God. Yes, even the prophetic Word of God that God has promised to bless if we do it. He's blessing you through your study of it, and we encourage you to help us this month with your gift and ask for this 463-page book, and it will be shipped to you as soon as we get your request. And it's our way of saying thank you for your help and your investment in this ministry. It's because of what you do that we're able to be here every day opening the Word of God with so many people across this nation. So thank you, and God bless you, and uh, your gift is so important to us. We want to say thank you with this special book. Now, our Bibles are open to the third chapter of Revelation. Here is the Church of Laodicea. Well, you know, I've traveled around the country for many years now, and I love doing what I do. I love to go and preach to other people in other places, not as much as I love preaching to you all and being here. But I've discovered that many classes in the churches where I go to visit have named their classes after New Testament words. For instance, I've met classes called the Timotheans and the Philadelphians and the Ephesians, and lots of other names are chosen. But in all my travels, I have never heard of a class called the Laodiceans. I have been in places where I thought maybe they should have called their class by that name, but I've never met one. And I know that the Lord describes the church of Laodicea here in the passage we're going to look at in a very unflattering terms. He says the church is neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. That's the description he gives of this indifferent church. As we go through this chapter, 
we're going to learn a lot about that particular church, but also a lot about our church and about us and who we are and where we should be. Here was a church that was materially well fixed, a church that considered any activity for the Lord to be unnecessary because they had everything they wanted. They thought they had need of nothing, but in reality they were the most needy of all of the seven churches. This is the only church of the seven about which the Lord has nothing positive to say. In fact, the church made God sick. It is interesting that God looks at apostasy and he gets angry. He looks at indifference and he gets sick. The seventh and this last message written to the church was delivered to Laodicea, a city founded by Antiochus II in the third century B.C. And the city of Laodicea was located 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia on the way to Colossae. Under Roman rule, the city of Laodicea became wealthy. It had a profitable business arising from the production of wool cloth, which was their main thing that they did there. Its economic sufficiency seeped into the church and lulled the church to sleep. This church intrigues us most as we study the seven churches because it represents the last of the churches. And in the chronological order of the churches of Revelation, the last church represents the actual church that will be on the earth when Jesus comes back at the rapture. So if you want to know what the church condition is going to be like when the Lord Jesus comes back, study this letter with me and you'll have a pretty good idea. The church when Jesus comes back will be exactly like this church to which this letter was written. To all of the other churches, the Lord had a good word. The Smyrnian church had nothing but good to say. To the church of Philadelphia, he had almost everything good to say. To all of the others, there was something that he commended. But to the church of this last age, he says nothing good at all. This is the church that Stanley High spoke of when he said, listen to this, this church has failed to tell me that I am a sinner. This church has failed to deal with me as a lost individual. This church has failed to offer me salvation in Jesus Christ alone. This church has failed to tell me of the horrible consequences of sin, the certainty of hell, and the fact that Jesus Christ alone can save. We need more of the last judgment and less of the golden rule, more of the living God and the living devil as well, more of a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. This church must bring me a message of salvation. I don't need new cultivation. I need new birth. I might fail that kind of a church, but that church cannot fail me. What he's writing about in his statement is that the church of Laodicea has failed to do what the church is supposed to do for the people who go there. If the church doesn't tell you about Jesus, if the church doesn't move you toward God, then what is the purpose of it? It is nothing but a social agency which can be replicated by secular agencies much more efficiently than a church could ever be. So as we look at this letter and we walk through these verses, I want you to think about the church. I want you to think about your own lives because remember, these letters not only give us a picture of the condition of an historic church, of a church in history as we follow it through, but they also tell us some things about individual Christians which will help us if we allow them to. First of all, notice the correspondent to the last age church. Remember, all of these letters start with a particular description of Jesus Christ, which is designed by the writer to fit exactly the need the church has. And the correspondent to the last age church is Jesus. And we learn about him first that he is the confirmation of the word. Revelation 3.14 says, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. As the Lord addresses the church, he identifies himself, first of all, as the Amen, 
the faithful and the true witness. In all of the other letters, these terms are the descriptions of the Lord that emphasize his attributes which are necessary for the needy church to whom he writes. As the amen and faithful and true witness, he exposes by his very title the deceit and superficiality that characterized the assembly in the church of Laodicea. The Laodiceans claim to be rich, increased with goods, and needing nothing. But in reality, the scripture says they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. With his blazing, penetrating eyes of fire, the Lord, who is himself truth, strips away all of the outward shell and exposes the emptiness that's inside this church. So what does it mean for Christ to be God's amen? Listen to these words from one who has written about it. Try to imagine a person who always honors his commitment, is never duplicitous or misleading or evasive in what he says, follows through on every promise, never fails to carry through on every obligation, passionately observes every law, is never wrong in his opinions, knows when to speak and when to remain silent, carefully avoids unedifying conversations, refuses to gossip, will always tell you what is most needful for your soul, and will never utter so much as a syllable that might prove destructive or harmful. Got the picture? Now think of Jesus. That's who he is. He's God's amen. He's God's picture of integrity and truth. Whatever it is that you think of when you think of absolute truth and honesty, that's who Jesus is. He's the one who said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. He is God's amen. He's the confirmation of the word. He's also the creator of the world. Notice at the end of the verse, these things says the beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God does not suggest that Jesus was created. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's not that Jesus is created. It means he is the source of creation. He is the origin of creation. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made, says the Scripture. God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, Hebrews 1-2. This is a message to the Laodiceans that in their wealth and complacency, thinking themselves in control, Jesus is telling them, no, you're not in control. You're not in control at all. I am the very source. In fact, everything you have originated ultimately with me. We sometimes think we're self-made men, self-made women. That's foolishness if you're a Christian. All that you have is from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. And so these arrogant people in this church who have over a period of time assumed to themselves this spirit of invincibility, they're about to discover how very vulnerable they are. Jesus is the confirmation of the word of God, and he's the creator of the world. Now that's the correspondent. Notice the characteristics of this last age church beginning in verse 15. First of all, the Laodicean church is a compromising church. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish, says the Lord, that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone, usually this happens to me in the middle of the night. I might get up in the middle of the night and I want a drink of water. 
and I go and turn on the spigot and I don't wait for the water to get cold and it goes in my cup and I take a drink of it and it's lukewarm. Is there anything more disgusting than that? Usually it doesn't stay in your mouth, does it? You go, yuck, that's awful. The word lukewarm is translated in the Greek language from a word called klieros. It's the only place where this word is used in the entire Bible. Another translation of lukewarm is the word tepid, tepid. When the Lord speaks of the church of Laodicea as lukewarm or tepid, he is drawing from the geography of the area around the city. Listen to this story and see how intriguing this is. In the district of Hierapolis, where Laodicea was, there were hot mineral springs. The water from those springs was transported to Laodicea over land in conduits. By the time the water reached Laodicea, it was no longer hot, but lukewarm. Cold water was piped to Laodicea from Colossae, and it too would be lukewarm by the time that it arrived. To the Lord Jesus, the brand of Christianity practiced by the Laodiceans was as obnoxious as the lukewarm water that ended up in their city. The hot water cooling off on its way from the springs, the cold water warming up on its way from the cold springs. Both of these sources arriving in the city halfway between what they should be and weren't. In the New Testament, there are three possible heart temperatures from which to choose. Have you ever noticed this? First of all, there's the burning heart. The Bible tells of two disciples who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, and the scripture says that after they had talked with Jesus, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture? There's the burning heart. And here in Revelation chapter 3, we read of those whose hearts are lukewarm. We are so afraid of being on fire for Christ. We do not want to be labeled as fanatics or emotionless or extremists, so we become lukewarm. There's also a cold heart in the scripture, we are told. In every other area of life, men and women, whether it's entertainment or sports or life, all of our Christian experience is either dead and cold or live and hot. For instance, if you're a sports fan and you really love this team, you don't care who sees how excited you are. You know, when I was first getting started back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I was then a Dallas Cowboy fan. Every weekend, we would watch the Cowboys in our home. And sometimes I'd have one of our babies in my hands. My wife finally decided that was not good for the baby's health. <laughs> One night, I almost passed him across the room to an unknown receiver. When you get into the whole area of sports, isn't it interesting how fanatically we become? We don't care who watches us. We jump up and down and we scream. And that works until we become Christians. And at first, when we're Christians, we are on fire for God. Isn't that true? We find out what it means to be a Christian. We're so excited about what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us, and we're just on fire for the Lord. And then after a while, we get in with some tepid Christians who cool us off. And after we've been Christians for a while, we become kind of, you know, just sort of there. I remember some years ago reading about a guy who was on fire for Jesus, and he was a little bit obnoxious about how he went about it. He actually bought himself a sandwich sign. You know those signs with the sign this way and one this way? And he walked around town and on the front of the sign it said, I am a fool for Christ's sake. And everybody would poke fun at him until he walked by. On the sign behind him was this statement, Whose fool are you? Hmm. 
You know, when we become Christians, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we become fools for Christ's sake. If we ride on buses, we carry our Bible on the top of our books. If we sit down to eat in the restaurant, we unashamedly bow our heads to pray. If we're with somebody for very long and we sense they don't know Jesus, we try to take up a conversation with them about who the Lord is. But after a while, like the letter to the Laodiceans, we cool off and we get tepid and we get lukewarm. The Laodicean church was a compromising church. Notice, secondly, it was a conceited church. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, the church in Smyrna thought it was poor and it was really rich. The church in Laodicea thought it was rich and it was really poor. The city of Laodicea was a wealthy banking city, and it had squeezed the church into its mold. The spirit of the marketplace had crept into the values that were a part of the church in that city. It was proud of her ministry because she used the human measuring standard instead of the divine measuring standard. They said they were rich. God said they were poor. They said they had need of nothing. God said they were blind and wretched. They thought they had become wealthy. God said they were miserable. Dr. Walvert, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, said the church at Laodicea, with their unconscious need, was lulled into false contentment by their temporal sufficiency. Spiritually, they were in a wretched state, but they didn't realize it. Without the real joy of the Lord, they were miserable in spite of their temporal wealth. They were poor because they were without real and eternal possessions and were lacking the eye of faith that could ascertain the true riches which endure forever. They were blind to things which could be seen only by spiritual sight. And they were naked of any spiritual clothing, the righteousness which comes from God, even though they were clothed with rich garments of the world, such as silk and wool. The Laodiceans are typical of the modern church today, which revels in the fact that everything you can see is so good, but it seems untouched by the gospel and does not see beyond the veil of the material to the unseen things that really make a difference in the vitality of a church. We've heard a lot lately about the fact that we seem to be heading down the same road as the Europeans. I've traveled a bit in Europe. One of the saddest things in Europe is to see the condition of Christianity throughout all of the places of Europe, which are basically the birthplaces for many of our ancestors and the source and origin of Americans. When you go to Europe, you just sense that church is there because it's always been there. The buildings are there, most of them in disrepair, some of them black as soot. Every time a church goes out of business, two Muslim mosques are built in its place. Christianity has fallen into almost disuse and lacks no influence around the European countries. And that's what happens when the church forgets what its purpose is and loses its vision. Jesus clearly warned that a church would evolve in the last days of civilization which would boast that it was rich and growing and increasing in numbers and self-sufficient. In other words, a church with great influence. How sad that this particular church, arrogant and boastful, is being heralded by so many undiscerning Christians as the glorious last-day church of power and dominion. And as you look out at the church today, I get all the literature on the churches. The church growth movement is just unbelievable. 
The stuff that people do to try to get folks to come to their church, supposedly as an opportunity to win them to Christ, unfortunately what happens, the end result isn't usually that. We've taken to all of the marketing skills of the world to build up the numbers of the church, and you wonder, once they get there, why are they there? What is there for them when they come? Somebody told me a long time ago, you have to win people with that which you already have. If you go out and try to get people to come to your church, and then they come to your church and find out that what they thought you were, you are not, they won't stay long. But here in America, all of the market-driven events that try to get people to come to church, but they come for the wrong reason, because they're invited for the wrong reason. The church is the citadel of God's truth. When you come to church, you should hear the truth of God. When you come to God's church, you should be nourished up in His truth. But if all you have is entertainment, and some of the bizarre things I have read about that people do, then you're just like this church in Laodicea. You think you're doing good, but you're not. You think you're wealthy, but you're poor. The Laodicean church was a compromising church, and it was a conceited church. But it was also a Christless church. Notice verse 20 in this text. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Here is the last characteristic of the church. Jesus Christ is on the outside of the church trying to get in. Now, we often take this passage in Revelation 3.20 as an invitation passage for personal salvation. It can be used for that, but that's not what it means. Here is a picture, according to the writer of the book, of the condition of the church in the last days. Jesus Christ is not a part of the church. He's on the outside of the church. He's knocking at the door trying to get into the church, and obviously he's not being received. What a tragic picture of the church of Jesus Christ in our age. During his first visit to this world, Christ predicted that his second coming would be met with unbelief. He said in Luke 18, 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on this earth? And the expected answer is certainly not. So the condition of the church at the time of Christ's return is a Christless condition. Jesus isn't in the church. It's the church of Jesus, but he's not there. He's trying to get in. He's knocking at the door of the church, seeking entrance back into the church, but he's not welcome. The invitation that Christ gives us is the narrowest of all the letters of the churches. In Thyatira, there was a remnant. In Sardis, there were a few names, but here it is, if any man hears my voice. This invitation is an individual one. While the hierarchy in many end-time churches has denied Christ, he still knocks at the door of the individual hearts of the people in the church. And that's the thing that's so wonderful, even in this time when we are living within the Laodicean age, the Lord God never stops caring. He never stops knocking. He is pictured in this particular presentation as standing outside of the church, knocking and seeking admission into the church. How very illustrative that is of the Church of Jesus Christ so much today, the Lord Jesus Christ vying for time on the venue in the church that bears his name. In the meantime, uh, let me encourage you to get your own copy of this book called The Book of Signs that we have put together 
uh, and it's 400 plus pages. It is um, 4,000 word articles on prophetic topics. We've tried not to leave anything out. We've put together everything that uh, is a part of the prophetic scheme. And um, this comes complete with some charts and lots of scripture, footnotes. You can find all of the things you're looking for by going to the indexes, and you will find this to be a very helpful volume for your prophetic study, and you can get your copy during the month of March for a gift of any size to Turning Point. All you have to do is mail your gift to Turning Point, and be sure to request your copy of the Book of Signs. It will be on its way to you before you know it to encourage and strengthen and build you up in your faith. Thank you so much for listening today. Please encourage your friends to join us as we teach the Word of God every day right here on Turning Point on this good station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's informative book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the seven churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. I have found that when we truly want something, we usually work to make it happen. Perhaps that is why a famous shoe company linked itself to an active life by employing the advertising motto, Just Do It, for many years. Applying that principle to the spiritual life leads us to Romans chapter 3. There Paul writes that there is no one who seeks after God. 
He is talking about man in his natural state of separation from God. Did you take a moment this morning to seek after God, to read the Bible, or to pray? Doing it daily will pay rich rewards. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the importance of seeking God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.